Hey there. Thanks for listening to Here and Now Anytime. If you like what you hear, we'd love if you subscribe to or follow the show in your favorite podcast app. Just look for Here and Now Anytime. And if you can leave a rating or review while you're at it, we would really appreciate it. It helps us a lot. And telling your friends about this show helps too. Thanks. Now, here's today's show. I've just never seen such an, uh, a sad, mismanaged situation in my entire career. That's how environmental activist Erin Brockovich sums up her visit to East Palestine, Ohio. It's Friday, March 10th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Kalyani Saxena. Today on the show, Aaron Brockovich, who famously exposed water contamination in Hinckley, California in the 1990s, joins us to share what she learned on a visit to East Palestine, Ohio, where a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed last month. Plus, it's Oscars weekend. Who will take home the top prizes? We hear from Aisha Harris, host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. But first, let's turn our attention to Congress. On Tuesday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell testified before the Senate Banking Committee and announced his intention to continue to raise the interest rate as the U.S. deals with high inflation. Powell's plans did not sit well with Senator Elizabeth Warren, who believes that the continued interest rate hikes could trigger a recession and leave many Americans without a job. Here's some of her exchange with Powell on Tuesday. So, Chair Powell, if you could speak directly to the two million hardworking people who have decent jobs today, who you're planning to get fired over the next year, what would you say to them? How would you explain your view that they need to lose their jobs? I would explain to people more broadly that that inflation is extremely high and it's hurting the working people of this country badly. Senator Warren spoke with Celeste Headley about inflation and the debt ceiling. So that exchange got a little bit tense. Were you satisfied by uh, Powell's response? Well, you know, let's remember the Federal Reserve has what's called a dual mandate, two jobs. One is to deal with inflation and the other is employment. And the idea that you just throw workers under the bus in order to try to bring down inflation, that's a very, that's not what the law says. And it's a very worrisome approach for the chair of the Federal Reserve. And I raise this in particular because there are many factors contributing to high prices. We know, for example, that price gouging is part of it. We know that the war in Ukraine, we know that supply chain kinks, all have contributed to high prices. None of those are going to be solved by raising interest rates. So if raising interest rates is a blunt tool and we need other options, what are the alternatives? What would you do? Well, I go much more aggressively after the price gouging. So, for example, we already know that in the industries where there's the most uh, concentration, that is, where there's not much competition, that prices have gone up the fastest and that profit margins have increased the most. That means there is a place for our federal government to bear down on those industries and um, make clear that price gouging is not something we're going to put up with. 
So you have been focused on jobs in in a couple of different areas. In terms of the debt ceiling, you have cited Moody's um, saying that if the nation defaults on its debt, the nation will plunge into a recession and again, millions of jobs will be lost. Now, the president has said he will not negotiate with Republicans uh, over the debt ceiling, but are Democrats on the Hill united enough to remain firm in, I mean, in light of Republican pressure? I believe we are. And the reason for that is that the Republicans are not just saying debt ceiling uh, default, which is a real problem. They're saying that the price for their ransom is you've got to make these extreme cuts in the federal budget. Moody's not only did an analysis of what happens if we trigger the uh, debt ceiling default, They also looked at what happens if we do the Republican cuts. And the answer there is it will plunge the economy into a recession and put 2.6 million people out of work. So what we have to say as Democrats is you're trying to put the Republicans are trying to put the economy between a rock and a hard place. And we're not going to do that. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts. Senator, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Coming up, it's been three decades since environmental activist Aaron Brockovich blew the lid wide open on water contamination in Hinckley, California. And she's still working to help people exposed to environmental contaminants. Last week, she visited East Palestine, Ohio, where residents are reporting headaches, coughing, and rashes after a Norfolk Southern train derailment spewed toxic chemicals into the environment there last month. While federal and state officials maintain that repeated testing has shown the air and water in the area is safe, Brockovich is skeptical. She spoke with Deepa Fernandez about what she learned. That's after the break. East Palestine last week and spoke with residents affected by the train derailment. What did you hear from residents that stood out to you? Oh my gosh, a lot. So I've been out there um, three times, four times. I'm going back out again next week. But the very first meetings we had with them is, you know, concern. Um, They're worried. They don't know what to do about their health. They don't feel anyone's listening to them. Um, they're still going back home and their lips are turning blue. They go to the doctor. Their throats mm. like have pits like burn marks in them. They're being diagnosed with, you know, chemical, you know, acute kind of respiratory issues, terrible rashes. We're starting to get more people getting phone calls from the state health department that their wills are contaminated. I've just never seen such a... a a sad, mismanaged situation in my entire career. I mean, those symptoms that you're describing are very real and very harsh. How has it been, in your experience, from from being in other places where toxic waste or contamination, you know, has been spilled? How is it that authorities can ignore that or, or can say that things are safe when people have very real symptoms? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, because, well, I've been doing this for 30 years, and oftentimes it's somebody covering something up. 
First of all, we know is vinyl chloride. They'll now start looking for dioxin. We know it's butyl acrylate, which you know has a preservative in it that's benzene. We're told they're not finding it. Then we find out it's off-site. Then they're aerating the water because the chemicals are in the water. Now they're throwing it out in the air. Nobody's talking to anybody, and everybody seems to be listening and deferring to what Norfolk Railroad, they control the narrative, is happening. Mm. I mean, you went to the town with a water expert, mm-hmm. Bob Bocock, and and. Would you advise residents to get their own independent experts or, or just how does a regular ordinary person even do that? Well, they have to. That's one of the very first things I tell these communities is, look, you're not going to get the the right information. I certainly wouldn't trust, you know, the polluter at this point on what it is they're telling us. There seems to be confusion within the agency. So you have to be your own eyes and ears. And I've seen this in 30 years in every single community. You know, if the water smells funny, don't drink it. Look, I wrote a book called Superman's Not Coming. And I hate to see this happening, but no one's coming in to save this town tomorrow. They are the eyes and eyes of what's happening to them. And through a common sense perspective, they need to respond accordingly for their own safety until we know more. Erin, if they are listening right now, what advice would you have for them? What should they be looking out for? And and how do they document any of this? Well, uh, they're doing it in this community now. I mean, they have videotapes. So when Norfolk comes to do an indoor air testing, they're videoing them. They're documenting if somebody's testing their well water. They're documenting EPA meetings. They are journaling their own rashes, their children with rashes. They're screenshotting their medical reports. Look, if you're sick and you're living there and you're breathing it and you're smelling it and your lips are turning purple, you've got to go with what you know. You need to get out of harm's way. And this is what becomes frustrating for some of the folks. They don't have the ability to do that. And we don't have agencies out there getting them to safety. Erin Brockovich, environmental activist, talking about last month's toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Thank you, Erin, for joining us. Thank you. This uh, story has yet to be told. We have yet to know the truth, but um, we will stay on it for sure. Coming up, the glitziest night in Hollywood is almost upon us. The Oscars are this Sunday, and while the biggest stars will be strutting the red carpet in designer wear, I will be tuning in from my couch in my pajamas. But as a person who doesn't watch a lot of movies, I'm in dire need of someone to help me decipher the buzz about who will take home the biggest prizes of the night. Luckily, we've got Aisha Harris of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour to walk us through everything. She spoke with Celeste Headley. That's after the break. Oscars are this Sunday, and there are a lot of new names to root for among the acting nominees. 
But will last year's slap overshadow this year's ceremony? If you've been living under a rock and need a reminder, eventual Best Actor winner Will Smith slapped Oscar host Chris Rock after Rock had joked about Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. Just last weekend, Rock joked about it in his Netflix comedy special. You know what people say? They always say, uh, words hurt. That's what they say. Gotta watch what you say, because words hurt. You know, anybody that says words hurt has never been punched in the face. Joining us to talk about this year's Oscars is Aisha Harris, co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. And Aisha, it's only been a year since it's happened, but people were talking about this almost ad nauseum last year. So do you think it's still going to be a topic of conversation both at the Oscars and while people are watching the Oscars this year? I think we're definitely going to hear at least one joke in the middle of the ceremony, whether it's Jimmy Kimmel who's hosting, whether it's someone presenting the award. Will Smith has been effectively banned from attending the Oscars for a decade. It's definitely going to be hanging in the air, but I really highly doubt that we're going to get any moment nearly as shocking and polarizing as what we saw last year. I mean, that kind of thing only happens once every very, very blue moon at the Oscars. All right. So if you're wrong about that, Aisha, we'll have you back. Um, (laughs) But I, I hope that what people talk about with the Oscars this year is all these incredible first-time Oscar nominees, including Brendan Fraser, who is a a known name for many people, but is now up for a Best Actor Oscar from his performance as a morbidly obese recluse in the movie The Whale. Let's listen to a bit. Do you ever get the feeling that people are incapable of not caring? There are, in fact, 15 other first-time Oscar nominees in the acting categories. Why so many newcomers here? I think it's really interesting to look at this and to also notice that all of the newcomers are a range of performers, ranging from people who are fairly new, who are younger on the younger end, including Austin Butler for Elvis and Paul Meskel for After Sun. Then you have someone like Bill Nye, Colin Farrell, and, and Michelle Yeoh, who have been working in this business for decades now, and they're finally getting their due. And I think each of those actors, especially the older ones, they had that perfect role that allowed them to both connect with audiences on a pretty big scale, especially when you're talking about someone like Michelle Yeoh and Colin Farrell. But um, yeah, I think it's really nice to see that we have all of this kind of uh, fresh meat <laughs> in in the categories. And it, it seems fairly certain, well, we know for sure in the, the Best Actor category, all of the nominees in that category are first-time nominees. So we know at least in that one, there will be one person who is getting their due for the very first time. And, and that's really exciting to see. Any favorites among all of these first-timers, whether they be people we know or maybe some young people? I'm definitely rooting for Michelle Yeoh and Ki Hui Kwan, who's nominated for Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm also really hopeful that Angela Bassett finally takes home an Oscar. She should have won Best Actress for What's Love Got to Do With It years ago. Um, But I'm rooting for her, and I think, you know, I wasn't too high on Wakanda forever, but I do think she is the anchor of that movie. And to be able to see her get up on stage, and hopefully Ariana DeBose will be like, (laughs) Angela Bassett did the thing. Uh, That would be lovely to see. (laughs) So I saw an interesting fact 
which to me shows um, how people of color are finally starting to really make inroads horizontally and vertically in film, which is that if Angela Bassett wins, Lupita Nyong'o will then become one of the only women ever to have acted in a film in which somebody wins the same Oscar she won before. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think it also just in some ways speaks to the way that Black actors and Black performers often work together for various reasons, because they love to work together, but also because Black Hollywood is still relatively small. <laughs> so yeah. you often see the same performers acting alongside each other um, in the same projects uh, in a way that I th- think you don't necessarily see with you know white actors in Hollywood. So it doesn't surprise me too much to, to know that that could be a, a first time. So, you know, there's a really frequent criticism of the Oscars that the big awards tend to be a little elitist in that people complain that they they honor these prestige films, arty films in many ways that a lot of people have not seen. Is that true this year? What I find sort of to be a breath of fresh air with this batch of Oscars, and even though there are some movies in there where I just looked at it and like, really, where are we? <laughs> this feels like a, a relic from the past. This bunch, especially of Best Picture nominees, it kind of runs the gamut and shows where, like, how far we've kind of come and 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 how far we still are kind of stuck in the past. You have something like All Quiet on the Western Front, which I think is just kind of that that old throwback to the war movie that the Academy loves to nominate. And then you have Top Gun, which is you know a big popcorn movie sequel. Yeah, it's a that, Jerry Bruckheimer specialty, right? I know. And and I think part of that people have speculated is that's because it's it's one of those movies that really signals Hollywood being able to convince people to go to the theaters. Um, and so, you know, that's something that Hollywood is very, very preoccupied with right now is being able to sell tickets and get butts in, in seats. Um, but then you also have everything everywhere all at once, which is just a bonkers sort of uh, best picture nomination. It's It's got the most Oscar nominations, 11 total. And I think that being able to see a movie that is not based on a pre-existing property that stars Asian and Asian American actors and is so wildly unlike anything else in its category or really anything else that came out last year, that's heartening. And I think that points to what the Academy has tried to do over the last several years is really diversify its voting block. And we're seeing that now. I don't think five years ago or even like maybe four, three years ago, we would have seen everything everywhere get this many nominations and get Best Picture. Um, So I think things have really shifted. But in many ways, yes, we are still stuck (laughs) in the past in many ways. and, And there are still not as many uh, POC performers who are getting nominations, and I'm still I'm very shocked that Nope, Jordan Peele's film uh, from last year did How? not get any nominations. How? Like I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's I think it's ahead of its time. I really do. I feel like it's a movie that we're going to be talking about for many years to come, and we're going to look back and say like, why did people ignore this movie? Now it, it did well at the box office. Don't get me wrong, but I think compared to his previous films, this one kind of threw people for a loop. And I don't think it's quite gotten its just due yet, but I feel like it will come in time. The, the Oscars are not, they're not indicators of uh, what will last when it comes to uh, the, the stories what? that people gravitate towards. <laughs> Shocker, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you knew this was coming that I was going to ask you for your predictions. Can you give us an idea of who you think will take home those statues? 
Okay, so best picture, my vote for what I think will win is The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's sort of uh, semi-autobiographical story of his childhood and his parents' marriage. This is another one of those movies that feels kind of like a quintessential Oscar awards catnip movie, but should win. I, I want to go with everything everywhere all at once. I just, I hope it wins Best Picture. Best Actress, I think Michelle Yeoh will win and she should win. Best Actor, I think it will be Austin Butler for Elvis. Uh, I just think he has the momentum and for whatever reason, he's still doing his Elvis voice when he does interviews. <laughs> so he's like, <laughs> he's very committed to this bit. Uh, I don't even know if his commitment is is the right word. I think he's just probably absorbed the, the soul of Elvis's voice at this point. Um, although I, I would love to see Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inna Sharon um, take Best Actor because I just think that it's such a, beautiful, small, like not a small performance, but it's a quiet performance that's just filled with so much pathos and angst. And I, I think he he deserves it. And best director, the Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I think they should win. We have been previewing this year's Oscars with Aisha Harris, co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. When you get to your brackets, you can check to see how accurate Aisha was. Thank you so much, Aisha. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully I did okay. <laughs> This podcast comes from the team behind Here and Now, from NPR and WBUR Boston. As always, there's so much more to read and listen to at our website, hereandnow.org. New today, we hear about ProPublica's investigation into the troubling death of an eight-year-old Nicaraguan boy on a Wisconsin dairy farm. When this when this kid died, there was this, this police investigation that it was very flawed, but but beyond that, nobody went to the farm afterward to see if workers were properly trained. Today's stories were produced by Gabrielle Healy, Emiko Tamagawa, and me. Todd Munt, Gabe Bullard, and Kat Welch edited today's show. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Max Liebman. Theme music by Mike, Max, and Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Grace Griffin and Allison Hagen. The executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.